You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. It's not about me in the booth. It's not about our broadcast, uh, our broadcasters. It's not about our sideline personnel. It's about the game, the players and the coaches and the organizations and the fan bases. That's what it's really about. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted, and it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Travis Kura, a fun episode of Two and Out today. TSN's Glenn Suter is on the show to talk about his upcoming induction into the media wing of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So we'll be talking a lot about his broadcast career in this fun conversation. I should mention it was recorded a few weeks ago before... Nathan Rourke's unfortunate injury keeping him off the field for the next couple months. So when I ask him about Nathan Rourke near the end of the interview, that's why. At the time, yeah, he was lighting up the CFL. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden, and it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Episode 129 is revisiting the Alberta Community Bat Program. Hey, I've heard a lot about these flying rodents. Hey, I'm okay with them because they eat mosquitoes, but it's revisiting an episode from October of 2019. If you do want to hear more from the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation, subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Let's get to my conversation with Glenn Suter. Joining the Two and Out CFL podcast is, I guess, going to be one of the newest members of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, Glenn Suter. Thanks for coming on the show, Glenn. Oh, I'm I'm happy to be here. Anytime we can talk CFL football, let's do it. Hey, I'm looking at your resume, though. Grey Cup champion, Gemini Award winner, Canadian Screen Award winner. There can't be that many people in that club. <laughs> well, you know, I hey, yeah, I, I it's been a it's been a tremendous journey, and you know, I think um, my my passion for this game, I, I I think maybe is is worn on my sleeve almost too much at times for some fans, but uh, you know, I just love it. I I love what I love that in this game, um, it, it asks of the player what no other sport does. I think. Um, you know, I, I think you can you can see sort of a a cross section of society in your in your locker room, bringing those people together so important, and and the lessons that that can you know display to the fan and and to the guy that's struggling at home at times to overcome adversity and all those things. I just um, absolutely love them, and and you know those awards and things give me a chance to really represent all the people that I work with that. Um, you know, at TSN that are passionate about the game, all the camera guys and engineers and producers and directors that, 
you know, we have hours and hours of discussions on on this game and and on Canadian football and what it means to our country. And so I get a chance when when these sort of awards and accolades come up, I get a chance to um, represent those people. And I think that's most important. The way you talk about the game, I can, yeah, I can feel the passion coming through. So being in a locker room and transitioning to being in front of the camera in a different capacity, has it made it easier to tell those stories since you were a part of it at one time? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I always want to be authentic in, in that regard. And and sometimes it can be challenging in a locker room to try and, and find that chemistry and find you know, that balance between respecting everyone you work with without necessarily becoming super good friends with every single guy in a locker room. I mean, there's 45, 55 guys in a room, all from different backgrounds, you know, different places in the world, and they all have to come together and believe in each other to win. Because at the highest levels, uh, you are, you know, everybody, every athlete is a good athlete every every guy can run every guy's strong they're you know at at this point you're talking about the less than one percent of of college football players that get an opportunity to play in either league the nfl or the canadian football league and and so the the talent is all there in every room so what's the difference between winning and losing the difference is the the chemistry and the culture and believing in each other and trusting each other and finding out more about each other so that you're doing it for the guy beside you in the room and not for your own agenda. And, and that to me is, is the great life lesson that a fan just watching a game can, can transfer into their own lives and how they can bring their family together or their workplace together or whatever it may be. So yeah, I try to be authentic in that story. And, and I always have that as sort of the root. If you're a great teammate and you have a team full of great teammates, you have the best chance to win a championship. And I always try to bring that through in all of my uh, commentary. Well, how does how easy is it to bring commentary together in the broadcast booth? I mean, you have to have chemistry there just as much as you do on the football field, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I am uh, in constant communication during a game with our producers. So I will have uh, my headset on, of course, that on in one ear – I will listen to Dustin or Rod Smith call the game. So the play-by-play guy's calling the game. I, I have to hear him so it can be conversational. But in the other ear, I can hear my producer. My producer is constantly telling me what's coming up next. So sometimes I will request uh, a replay look or or to stay with the quarterback, for instance. Can we just stay with the quarterback so I can tell my story about the quarterback? Or maybe it's a receiver that – we need to the cameras to adjust to uh, to get close-ups of so that I can tell the story about this certain receiver. Sometimes I would say it's about a, a 60-40 split, maybe 70-30, where the producer will run it because ultimately he's in charge of everything and all those decisions. But I will make tons of requests through the through the game too. So that communication and that chemistry has got to be, um, you know, tight and 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 that's so much uh that is a sort of a transfer over from playing i mean the the trust that i have keep in mind my producer in my ear will sometimes travis say um hey he's the guy on the left and he's at the top of the line and go ahead and circle him 
<laughs> now, I may not have seen that particular guy in right. real time. I may be looking at somebody else. So I have to trust that what he's saying is right, because if I circle this guy and it's the wrong guy, everybody says Suter doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so he just circled the wrong player. Um, so I have to trust that he, you know, he he's got he's got my back, and he always does. So uh, all the producers do in our in our show. There is a classic story that James Duffy tells about a mistake that Chris Schultz made during one of his games, where he basically repeated something in his ear, telling himself to <laughs> shut up. It's it's an all time classic. Do you have any of those bloopers that you can remember off the top of your head? Yeah, I I have one. Well, a couple. There's a couple. There was um, there was a a game in Ottawa back when they were the Ottawa Rough Riders and. There was a backup quarterback in the game that, um, you know, he came in for those sort of cleanup reps, but was driving the ball nicely. I, I don't remember which quarterback. He was driving the ball nicely, and he was going in to score, and around the five-yard line, they end up scoring. And I tried to say that it's it's always good for an organization when their backup quarterback gets gets valuable reps and finds or or realizes some success. That's what I was trying to say that he realizes success. Well, I accidentally said that he realizes sex. And, <laughs> and Chris Cuthbert Chris Cuthbert and I started laughing. The truck in my ear just erupted. <laughs> like our, our television truck laughed for a minute and a half. It's nice to see that the backup quarterback can have some sex. And so... Yeah, I, I, uh, and, and we, we honestly couldn't get it together. It felt like five minutes. It was probably actually about a minute and a half, but <laughs> we just couldn't get it back together for about two or three plays after that. I love that. So during your playing career, when did you realize that this is what you were, this was going to be your path after playing? You know, I, I really didn't, you know, it wasn't sort of a planned journey. It was, it was all I cared about was playing football. And, and when I was in Regina and I got to meet a lot of different people in that, in that city, uh, one of them were, was uh, one of the morning show hosts for one of the FM stations there, radio stations. And he would have me on quite often as a guest. And in my last couple of years, and it was about three years, I came on. It was started in 1989, really, in our Grey Cup year, where I came on as a guest late in the season, and then we won the next game. And so I said, now as a guy that is is tied to my rituals and uh, superstitions in some cases, I guess you could call them, I said, now i got to come in again, even though you don't have to talk to me, you don't have to say anything, I just have to sit in the chair in the morning show for a couple of minutes and then I can go because it's part of my routine now. Well, that, that turned into sort of an audition when a sports director left while I was still playing and I ended up getting the job. I, it was, I went in an audition for sports director to do sports on both FM and AM while I was playing football at the time. And, and again, I took kinesiology at SFU. I, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> in communications or broadcasting or anything like that. So um, you know, I did the audition and, and the executive producer at the time at the radio station, I'll never forget our, our first conversation. His name was Michael Saplitney. He lives on the island now, Vancouver Island. And he said, 
He said, Glenn, well, I can tell you this. You're, you're, you're not very good. <laughs> I, went, I went, okay, well, sorry. I, you know, I, I'm sorry for taking your time. And I sort of interrupted him. I said, it's no problem. I just thought I'd audition. He said, no, 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 don't go away. We're going to hire you because what you're not good at, we can help you with. What you're good at is your comfort level in front of a microphone or in front of a camera. What you're not good at is writing a story, structuring a story, putting together a sports cast. All the sort of the logistical issues are, or um, you know, things you got to deal with as a broadcaster. I didn't, I didn't know the profession. I didn't know the job, but they said they could train me that. They could te- teach me that. So yeah, I that's how I kind of started, and I I did that in the morning show. So it was up at four a.m. Do the morning show on both stations, kind of alternate FM AM. And then go to practice, and wow. I did that for did that for a few years, and did my weightlifting and my practice and my film study. It, they were long days, long, long days. But that was the thin edge of the wedge into the door of a new world that I quickly thought was a possibility when I retired. Now, when I made the decision for TSN, I wanted to play three or four more years. I was ready to go. I felt great physically. Heading, getting ready to head back when I got the phone call from TSN saying, listen, we know you've done radio. Um, we've auditioned, I auditioned for them too. And they said, we're going to hire a new crew. So that was when I retired. I wanted to play three or four more years. I retired before the game pushed me out, which doesn't happen very often, mm-hmm. but, um, but I don't regret it. I, you know, I, it was a leap of faith though. I have to say, I, I, I had never done television. I didn't know if I could do it, really. I did a quick audition years, a couple of years earlier for TSN just arbitrarily because I was doing radio, and that was sort of on the shelf. And, yeah, I I, I thought, I'm not going to have this window again, you know, in my post-football life to – they're going to fill this position if I don't take this job. And it was 48 hours of zero sleep trying to decide if I was going to walk away from the game three years before I was ready to and start a new profession. I decided to do it for one reason at the end of the day. All the debates in my mind, but the one reason was we had won a championship. I had a great cup ring. I was part of a team that was that year in 1989, the best in Canadian football. And that was the determining factor. Had we not won that year, I I probably wouldn't have become a broadcaster at that moment. It's kind of funny. There's a generational gap between my brother and I. He knows you as the defensive back for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, <laughs> and I know you as the color guy <laughs> for TSN. <laughs> but right. now that I know more about the history of the game, of course, uh, you holding the kick on that uh, winning winning kick in 1989. Um what do you remember? I think 94 was the first Grey Cup you were a guest analyst at. What do you yeah. remember about that first Grey Cup? Yeah, well, that was the, uh, you know, NBC place uh, and the and the kick by Louis Pisaglia. And, um, you know, it was a it was a great it was a great game. It was Canada versus U.S. in a lot of ways because there was U.S. expansion at that time. And yeah, I, because I was in Vancouver. Um, and I was training and the game was here. Uh, they knew TSN knew that I had done radio. And that's again, 
you know, just sort of keeping your eyes open for opportunities, even though it might be something that you just don't consider uh, while you're planning in college and things like that, that just come up. But if you're kind of available to the thought, there's opportunities. Again, life lessons that carry over. But um, I, I remember the game. I remember being excited to be in the booth. Um, you know, I, I'm not even sure if I said anything profound or how that really went. <laughs> I never did a, a post sort of game uh, review of the of the performance. But you know, there were three of us in the booth, so I, I, I didn't have to carry the show by any means. And again, I, I've always said in my broadcasting career, and it's over 27 years now, that uh, it's about the game. It's about the players. It's about our great game that has been so entertaining this year. It's not about me in the booth. It's not about our broadcast uh, or broadcasters. It's not about our sideline personnel. It's about the game, the players and the coaches and the organizations and the fan bases. That's what it's really about. If you do talk to lots of fans and people, uh, the Grey Cup week is not always about the game. It, uh, <laughs> I, I got to ask you, compare Grey Cup week as a player to, uh, <laughs> to now, to, as a broadcaster. Well, I, I take a slightly different approach, and I, <laughs> I, I, I really do, because uh, you know I feel such a great sense of responsibility in calling a championship game. First of all, as a player, I was locked down. I, I, you know, I, I felt like I was one of those guys that always felt like if I didn't play on every play, I was going to lose my job. I, I felt like there would be somebody else faster, stronger, that was going to take my job if I ever missed a play. So that was sort of always in the back of my mind that you you have to stay healthy. You have to stay in there. You have to be training. You have to be studying. I have to know everybody's responsibility, not just my own. So that was my approach as a player. And Grey Cup week in 89, I was locked down. I didn't see anybody, didn't go out, didn't, you know, didn't even really go to a restaurant. I, I uh, just watched tape, watched video, uh, prepared, because I always felt to myself, if you don't win the game and you look in the mirror afterwards and you say to yourself, you didn't study enough, you didn't work out enough, or you went out and you enjoyed the week too much, then I could never live with myself. If we lose the game and you did all that and you said, well, I, you know, I put everything into it I could, but they just beat us that day, that I could live with. So mm-hmm. I approach I approach it the same way as a broadcaster, I really do. I, I get into Great Cup Week, and there's been a few of them now, double figures. Um, <laughs> get into Great Cup Week, and I, I have to tell you how tempting. It is very tempting. <laughs> it is very, of very course. tempting, you know, especially early in the week, because we usually get into Great Cup City Tuesday or Wednesday, and at the latest. So there's all these opportunities to, you know, have a big dinner and all those things. But I know as soon as I get out there and I start talking to fans and people there for the great cup to celebrate it, I don't, I don't want to leave those fans. I want to answer those questions. I want to talk to them and that can turn into hours quickly. So I just, I stay locked in my room. No, no drinks, not even a glass of wine with dinner or anything uh, until after the game, because I feel this great sense of responsibility. This is this is part of Canadian history. Um, you know, I, I probably will make a mistake or two in a three-hour live telecast. But I mean, it wouldn't be me if I didn't. But <laughs> but but I, I want to limit those mistakes. 
and I, I want to represent the game properly. I, I want it to be a showcase of our great game in our country and how much it means to so many fans. So again, it's that it's that thought of if the game ends and I've really kicked it around badly and I look in the mirror and I say, well, that was because you went out three of the four nights of Grey Cup week and you didn't get enough sleep and you didn't study enough and you weren't prepared. I can't live with that. I just, I cannot live with that. So I have very strict rules, Grey Cup week. <laughs> it, it appears that the process that you adapted or adopted as a player You've moved that process over to being a broadcaster. You talked about the routine. What are some quirky parts of your routine that you still have a part of your day now? Well, 27, my my number playing, um, just to me is sort of, it's it's almost a religious experience for me. And, I, and I'm certainly not downplaying or trying to compare to people yeah. of that of great faith and all that, of, of that. but um you know, the the 27 I, I had before I met my wife, turns out her birthday was on July 27th. My my son went down to Nashville. He's a singer, guitar player, and songwriter. He went to Nashville for school. His first apartment was apartment 27. My daughter in New York, she went to musical theater school down there in AMDA, American Music and Dramatic Academy. And her first dorm room was 27. It's wow. it's like, yeah, these these things continue to sort of line up always. But, you know, I, I am routine-oriented. I remember seeing a speaking engagement from uh, a U.S. Marine uh, commander who talked about the first step every day you get up in the morning to make your bed. It sounds really simple. But to make your bed, do it properly, make it clean with tight corners, is your first positive step of every day. And I do that. I do that religiously. I saw that and I thought, what a great idea. What a great way to start your day with a a positive um, sort of confidence building, real simple uh, task that you have uh, executed correctly and you move on to the next task. So as a player, I went through that. It became a little bit of superstition because stuff like as a player, I would I would get my left ankle taped first, my right ankle taped second. If I ever forgot to do that, I would cut the tape off and start again. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, it it kind of can can take over in some ways. You gotta, I guess you gotta. I once asked I once asked my doctor if I'm OCD. I and and. Again, not to make light of of that for for people who who suffer it, but um, he, he she said, you know, most doctors have to go to school for ten, twelve years to become specialists in their in their field, and you need a little bit of that in you mm. to to be able to accomplish that. So I would say most of the doctors I went to school with have a little bit of. OCD and and same with probably you and and as long as it's not controlling your life, um, you know I I think of it as an edge in some ways. I know that's silly, um, you know. Sometimes I'll I'll get my family members will roll their eyes like, oh, dad, come on, <laughs> you, you know. But I make my bed every morning, and it is that positive step, and I stick with my routines that have worked all these years, you know, covering the game and always remembering. It's about the game. It's about the fan experience. I'm just there to help it along. It's not about us. We're not the show. 
The players are the show. Did that take you a while to to grasp? Um, just a couple weeks ago, we lost Vin Scully, and either mm-hmm. one of the greatest sports broadcasters ever. And I think one of his strengths was what he didn't say almost as much as what he did say, that he let the moment breathe sometimes. And you watch some of those classic baseball highlights, and he was there for them, but a lot of times there was very little words that he he used to accompany the picture that we were seeing. Did, uh, did it take a while for you to make or realize that, well, look, I'm on the camera, I'm... My voice is being heard, but I'm not. I'm not the show. Yeah, no, not not really. I mean, I I, I felt that way going in. But you, it's such a great point, and he was such an iconic, outstanding announcer. You know, I I think of guys like Ron Lancaster. I uh, John Madden was. I was a huge fan of John Madden's approach, where he could balance entertainment and fun with the actual analysis of the game and. Uh, that great mix and and not to one of the challenges broadcasting football is that it's a complicated game in in some ways with with terminology that can be very confusing like there's great you know there's athletes that have been in sports their entire life that that have asked me what did you mean when you said the running back was running downhill Mm. you know even simple things like that where you know the the terminology is he ran he ran downhill because he had such a, a low pad level and hit the hole so hard that it appeared that he was running downhill when in fact the the field is is <laughs> flat yeah, yeah. you know so you know so it's it's terminology like that and it's finding that balance in in um, not not dumbing it down too much where football people are going, oh, come on. Uh, but also not getting too complicated or caught into the terminology where you're just talking to the offensive coordinators of the world and not talking yeah. to the, the average fan. And the point you make about sometimes the moment doesn't need any words, that is, is a, at times a challenge because – because you have to be comfortable with dead air. And that that did take a little bit of time to understand that dead air is not your enemy, especially when the moment is, is more important than anything you could say to add to it. And the example I'll give you is the, the too many men game mm. for Saskatchewan Rough Riders when they had thought for two minutes that they were champions. I've never seen any sport where one team felt they had won the game and were champions, and two minutes later it was ripped away and Montreal got another chance on that field goal. I've seen last-second kicks that win or lose. You've seen last-second goals in overtime that win or lose. But but you don't see a win and then the flag and then it's taken away and then the other team wins. In that moment – and the reaction that we were shooting from our camera angles to pick up both sidelines, the Montreal Alouettes going crazy with that second opportunity, the coaches, guys on their knees, guys in tears, you know, the emotion just running through how they won this championship and the way they did. And then the other side too, where Saskatchewan was just 
completely distraught, couldn't, you know, get their head around what just happened, how it happened. In that moment, I don't know how long the pause was, but I, I A, couldn't think of anything that would enhance the pictures that we were seeing. So, you know, there, a couple of my buddies once said, where were you? Did you just, oh. <laughs> was this, was this a Saskatchewan Rough Rider thing that you felt for them? So, and I, and first of all, it wasn't it, any team that would go through that I'd feel for, but it, it was those pictures. It's like you mentioned, the pictures were so strong, the emotion so real and organic that I just, there was nothing I could say that would, enhance it, change it, you know, lift it up. Just those pictures spoke volumes. So those are moments that you have to recognize uh, and not just power through. I want to ask you about that Rough Rider note because uh, I think it means you're doing something right when one fan base says, hey, that guy's against us, and all the other fan bases say, that guy's biased towards those guys. (laughs) So when it comes to the Riders, uh, I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you hear it. Uh, How have you balanced that after playing for the team for a decade? Oh, Travis, I have, I have, I have my social media and <laughs> on, on, on Twitter, I'll have one tweet that says, I can't believe this guy overcompensates and gets, <laughs> and is, and is hard on the riders because he used to play there. So he's overcompensating and he's, he's, he's hard on them. And, and then there's the very next tweet. The very next tweet is, Oh, he's just such a homer. That was his old team. <laughs> And I thought, how can I be doing both at the same time? And the reason it's interesting is because they're they're like two minutes apart. Yeah, yeah. So so when I when I see those two tweets, I think to myself, for for them to both be watching the same game and listening to the exact same thing that I just said, and and interpreting it so differently, then that to me does prove that you you do watch a game through the the colored of go- colored right. goggles of your team jersey right you're if you're a rider fan that's you're watching through green goggles and and that's okay because you know why it's okay first of all i just you know i'll get it out there if if you curse on twitter or call me something that you know is is a curse word of some kind i'll just block you uh, if you if you want to make uh, a critique or disagree, no problem. Send it. It's fine. Some of them I'll actually reply to very seldom, but I will um, at times when it's a real good point made and I will say, okay, this is what I was thinking or whatever. But, you know, I I do look at those things now and it's been about, I don't know, five years as a real passionate fan group, fan, you know, Fan support of our game, so passionate at times, especially that core group in Saskatchewan, that they just, they are so emotionally invested. And when it's not working out, they've got to find someone. You know, sometimes it's a ref, sometimes yeah. it's Glenn. I will say this I have never, uh, you know, blocked anybody from the broadcast booth, caught a pass from the broadcast <laughs> booth, thrown a pass from the broadcast booth, or made a coaching decision from the broadcast booth. Um, so I, I really do not control the outcome of a game one way or another. And I try to be honest to be, you know, I, I try to just be authentic and, 
if the riders make a mistake that I believe should be pointed out because it, it, it actually was one of the reasons or the reason that they lost or weren't successful on that play, I'm going to say it. I'm just, I feel like I, I owe it to the fan to give my opinion based on my experience and all the games that I've watched and covered to say, this is a mistake that is one of the reasons that they're behind by seven. That decision or, you know, that throw or – and here's why I think it is. I'll try to explain it as well. But I want to be honest. And if that means I I say something to about Saskatchewan, <laughs> then it's my honest opinion. <laughs> I, I, I got to ask you about uh, Dustin Nielsen, who you uh, have been broadcasting with over the past couple seasons. You started – broadcasting with some Hall of Famers and John Wells, Chris Cuthbert. How has uh, working with Dusty gone? And, hey, maybe he's a future Hall of Famer uh, himself. But, uh, I mean, kind of a fresh take on things. I mean, his excitement level for the game is great, too. So what have you guys been able to sort of teach each other, too? He, he has been outstanding, you know, really. I, I can't say enough good things about Dustin. He's, you know, and, and I, I know the fan probably hears and sees a sort of a different perspective completely than I would uh, working side by side with him because, you know, there's, again, when when you both approach with the same philosophy, which is it's about the players, it's about the game, that's the show. Um, that's still, that's kind of like the first step. And there are, there are many broadcasters that will step in, I think, to a, you know, into a broadcast booth and think that it's still about them and their career or think that they are the show and they are supposed to be entertaining sort of at every, at every turn and starting to ignore what's going on on the field in, in doing that. I think that's a mistake. So if you, if you look at Dustin coming in, he had that approach. He works his butt off in preparation, great cadence and pace, um, tremendous enthusiasm. I mean, yeah. that that's infectious and and that's real. And I, you know, people that like my work um have come up and said, you know, how how do you study it? How do you approach it? I, I always say it's just it's real. You know, it when a big play happens. My reaction is is completely organic, it's completely real. It's 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 uh, genuine. I I see a great catch and I'm just I'm blown away. I'm a fan. I'm a fan at that moment. And I think Dustin has a lot of that as well. It's it's not. I I've got to get my emotion level up because it's a big play, um, and that's what broadcasters do. He's not being a broadcaster. He's he's mixing the fan element and the and the real enthusiasm with his call and his cadence, I, I think he has a tremendous bright future. I love working with the guy. And plus he's not afraid to ask. You know, mm. when you when you start a when you start a new job, ask your coworkers about all the nuances of that job. And he and I have had great conversations early in his career here about, you know, just the mechanics of it and the logistics of of how we work together, how we work with the producer, how we work with the directors, you know, and again, what's most important. What's because there are, there are tons of editorial decisions made by both of us and the truck, the producer and director, every single game, really thousands of decisions made. 
And so if you always have sort of that same core and baseline that you're starting from, then those decisions will really come together nicely and you'll, you'll have that great chemistry. And uh, I think, you know, Dustin has been fantastic. He's got a bright future. Um, And he does the work. He puts the work in. Last few weeks, I've talked to Ricky Ray and Nick Lewis and uh, their call to the hall of fame. Both came from Matt Dunnigan. What was that process like for you? Well, I, I got a call from our executive producer, Paul Graham, and cool. uh, I was, I was, you know, quite, I was speechless and that doesn't happen very often, as, <laughs> as, as you can tell in this, in this podcast. Um, no, I, you know, I, again, for me, my initial thought goes to uh, all of the crew members that I can now represent. You know, there are great cameramen that are standing out there in freezing cold November playoff games and giving us the great pictures and shots. There's there's elect, there's uh, engineers that put it all together. They're there, you know, two days before. Uh, tons and tons of cable that's wrapped. I mean, you've seen some of the behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, documentaries of, of what a broadcast, how many people are involved. And what is actually, you know, all all included in building that broadcast? So, I, I, honestly, that's that's where I turn right away. I, I, it was an emotional call for me because when I hung up, I thought of all those people. I thought of Paul McLean, who was a 39 year old producer that I started with at TSN that we called a Mac, who passed away at 39. I think about, you know, um, Schultze who who has passed away and worked on the panel and he and I being Chris Schultz being such a um you know close knit team we we used to do a, a football show that covered NFL Europe NFL and CFL and we used to do that together and go out for lunches and talk about the game and how we can help to grow the game and you know I miss those guys so when I got the call uh, to go in in the media division, I um, first of all it was a great honor, but I got a chance to represent, and I'll get a chance at this Great Cup to represent all of those people, and and that to me is most important about this. That I don't go in by myself; I go in with every single crew member that's ever worked on the Canadian Football League with great passion because they all do. This is not just a gig for them; it's not just and and so, and for some of them the NHL and and some of those things are gigs for them, those jobs. For the CFL, these guys love it. They're invested in it. And I get to represent them in a Hall of Fame. Last question. As a former DB, how do you defend against Nathan Rourke and the BC Lions? <laughs> it's Yeah, it's a great question. It's, you know, it's, it's a great question in a way that I haven't been asked before because we've talked about Nathan a ton, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. But – how would I stop him? That's that's a great question because you know his the the challenge that I've seen right out of the gate here has been his accuracy has is through the roof. I mean, he's completing over eighty percent of his passes. His accuracy when a, a receiver is covered and there's only one spot that he could put the football to give his receiver a chance, and he puts it in that exact spot. And sometimes on the run or whatever it may be, I I have never seen a quarterback 
at this age and this level of experience, just nine starts now. Wow. To play with this sense of composure and poise, to play with this level of accuracy, um, mental and physical preparation, his ability to process what the defense is, is giving him and get the ball out of his hands with a quick release with that type of accuracy. You know, the the Elks in his, in his last game tried to blitz him. He beat them there. They tried to drop off and rush three. He beat them there. You know, it was, you know, and I, hey, listen, the Elks are struggling. I get that. But I've never seen a kid 24 years old play at this level with this amount of poise. Uh, he is a special player, and I hope the fans realize it and and come out and, and enjoy it. And and let's just talk about how great he is and not about his future and speculate what it might mean down the road. I, I let's have, let's just not go down that hamster wheel. I just believe he's a fantastic athlete. He's worth the price of, of admission. I have never in my time in football, player or broadcaster, seen a young quarterback perform at that level at that age after just nine starts. Nobody. Not Ricky Ray, not Doug Flutie. Not Danny McManus, you know. I di- I didn't see or play against Warren Moon, thank goodness. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of clips of him. This kid at 24, through the roof, unbelievable. Yeah, he is a treat to watch, and it's been a treat talking to you, Glenn Suter. Canadian Football Hall of Famer in the media wing. Maybe maybe the player one is still to come. <laughs> but well, hey, hey, if you want to see emotion, you'll see it that day. <laughs> if, if that day ever does come. But, hey, I, I love talking football. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate it anytime. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. They offer internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. It's not long away, but the temperature is going to drop. Energy usage is going to increase in Alberta. So now's a great time for you to look at your utility bills and and ensure you're on the best plan. Albertans have a choice of who they pay their utility bills to. And Park Power is happy to provide free, no obligation comparisons. If you decide to switch providers, it's easy and you can feel good knowing you're supporting a local business and helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Congratulations and thanks again to TSN's Glenn Suter for coming on the To It Out podcast. Make sure you like this episode and subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcatcher. And hey, share this episode with your friends if you think they will like it. It helps us grow the show. Thanks so much for listening to To It Out. We will talk to you on Thursday. The owner of the Montreal Alouettes, Gary Stern, is on the show. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 